0: We have so many reasons to be grateful. In a season of the year where we begin to think about gratefulness and thankfulness, maybe a little bit more than we do other times of the year, we're thankful for the presence of each and every person that is here. You are important to the Lord, and you are important to us, and we want to do all that we can to encourage. We are also thankful for the various men who serve So exceptionally in public worship like this, whether it be our prayer by Brother Jason or the the good song selection and the capable leading of Brother Bill and the very eloquent and thoughtful words of Daniel. It is definitely good for us to be here today. We're here in a building that God has blessed us with that we're grateful for as well, though it is just a building because we are the church. We who are Christians make up the body of Christ, and we have a responsibility to act in a particular way and to do particular things in order to be faithful to Him, in order to bring others to the cause of Christ, and in order to be pleasing to our Father in heaven. A couple of weeks ago last month, I did a lesson on the subject of Christian courtesy and kindness. and I appreciate your kindness in giving me good feedback and helpful things. And this is, in many ways, a part two of that lesson in the subject of how we behave. You know, behaving is not always fun to do. We learn that at a very young age when people tell us you need to behave, whether it be your teacher or your parents or police officer or whatever the case may be. We don't enjoy behaving as we should sometimes because we like to be immature and to make our own decisions from time to time. But when we were baptized, when we became Christians, we voluntarily said, I will now behave differently than I have done in the past. And granted, that may not be a drastic difference for someone who grew up on a pew or who grew up learning about the Bible. It might be a more drastic change for someone who religion and spirituality and Bible study is a brand new concept. But I want to use Romans chapter 12, the verses that we read at the outset of our study this morning, and I appreciate Roger reading those verses so very ably, to help us understand what it means to be transformed and what it means to be different kinds of people. And I want us to start with this idea of the transformation of Christians, because when we are baptized into Christ, as the vast majority of those who are present here have done, We are a part of a group of people who have been called out, and we are different. And we talk about that frequently in our Bible studies, in our private conversations, in sermons like this. The fact that we are different. We are supposed to be different as men and women. We're supposed to talk differently. We are supposed to walk spiritually differently. And we are supposed to be different kinds of people. And Paul says here that Christians, rather than being conformed and like every... Everybody else are to be transformed, and we talked about that word just a couple of weeks ago. The whole idea of a of a uh, caterpillar into a butterfly, and it goes through that process of change. We are making a change as well. Let me suggest to you that without rereading Romans 12 verses 9 through 15, that Christians need to be strikingly different in two major ways. And that's the two ways that I wanted us to talk about today. First of all, we are different in how we love. And we are different in how we treat others because of the way that we love. And so there are a lot of things in Romans 12 verses 9 through 15. We're not going to deal with all of them. But we'll deal with two or three of them in the course of our study together this morning. And we're glad for our visitors, for you being with us and hope as brother Jason said. That you'll stick around so that we have the opportunity to get to know you better. I want to start first of all with different in how we love. The fact is. Is love is a very uh, interesting word. We talk about a certain restaurant that we love, uh, and then in the next breath we talk about the jobs that we love, and then we say, "By the way, I love my spouse as well." And so we've got to be careful the way that we use this. Opportune word. It is indeed very transferable. But Christian love, which is what we're talking about in the first part of our study together today, is distinctly different from a common or worldly love. And I'm going to verses 9 and 10 of Romans chapter 12, and that's where I'm focusing our attention here at the outset. Brother Roger read from the English Standard Version where it says we are to love in a genuine fashion. If you're reading from the New King James Version or maybe an alternative version, you may have the phrase that we are to love without hypocrisy. And the first observation that I really want us to make is that anytime the Bible says do this in this fashion, it tells me that it's possible to do it in the opposite fashion as well. And so the point that I'm making is, is it's possible to love in a hypocritical way. And that'll form the the basis of what we're going to talk about for about 10 minutes in here, just a, a minute or two. But let me also suggest to you that there in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, it says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving presents to one another, that that is a statement that says that brotherly love requires our diligence. And, you know, the fact is, is the vast majority of us are generally lovable people. But sometimes we get a little bit honory, and sometimes we uh, aren't as patient as we should be with others. And sometimes we're not as kind as we should be. And we may not be as lovable as someone else. But the fact is, is the Bible says that brotherly love needs to continue to all people love the brotherhood is what Peter would say in one of his letters. So I want us to talk about this idea of loving in a genuine fashion or loving without hypocrisy. It is possible for love, as we said a moment or so ago, to be with hypocrisy or to be insincere or to not be genuine or the word that is used in the King James Version is an interesting one as well. Our love, as Peter would say, is to be with a pure heart and our love is to be modeled after the love of Jesus Christ. And I say those two things because we sometimes look at the subject of the way that we treat each other and the way that we love each other in very basic terms. And we think about it as being the way that the world treats or the world loves. And that's not what God is wanting us to get out of this text. It seems to me the Holy Spirit is talking to Christians over halfway through a lengthy letter. Some would call it the flagship letter of the Apostle Paul to the church of Rome. And he says, you've got to make sure that you love in a genuine, non-hypocritical way. And let me suggest to you, thirdly, that our love must include this determined uh, nature to be kindly affectionate, to have a natural love for each other. So in thinking about loving without hypocrisy, let me suggest to you that it's important that our love be without hypocrisy because God deserves the glory. In Romans chapter 11, jump back just a a couple of pages in your Bible. You'll notice in verse 36 that there's a statement that is found in the 36th verse. And it says, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So who's the focus? It's always about God. The way that we treat others, it's about God. You see, that's what makes us different as members of the Lord's church. From just people in the world that are generally good or loving. The world is filled mostly with decent people. There are some that are not so decent. But what makes us different is that we are trying to be decent and loving and kind and courteous like we talked about a few weeks ago. Because that's what the Lord demands of us and because the glory belongs back to him. Similarly, in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, and that's a sermon in and of itself and a subject for us to talk about. But it says that love must be definitive or the point that I'm making and not situational. It is easy for me to love you when you love me. You know, one of the things being a 9 or 10 or 11 or 12 or 13 year old, you get to that age, I guess, probably by 13, 14, where uh, the opposite gender becomes not gross to you anymore. And now there may be a little bit of an interest to you is that when you find out that someone likes you, maybe thinks you're cute or whatever the case may be, somehow they become a little bit cuter in your own eyes as well. Because it's easy to have an affection for someone who has an affection for you. That's true spiritually as well. We've got to be on guard against that kind of limited, hypocritical love. Let me suggest to you that we are to behave differently as saints. It's important that we know how to avoid hypocritical love. And that brings me then to the real thrust of the first section of the story today, and that is four examples of hypocritical love. First and foremost is what I would call discriminatory love. Now, partiality has always been sinful. The idea of treating someone with discrimination because of the color of their skin, because of their gender, because of whatever the case may be. But in Exodus 23, that's talked about. James chapter 2 goes to the heart of the matter with saying that with God, there is absolutely zero partiality. And let me make a statement here that I've made in a couple of churches throughout the, the country And it is not a controversial one, but it may make you uncomfortable because you say, well, wait a minute, why would there even be that place anyway? But I have known in the last 30 to 35 years of some churches where they have treated individuals differently because of the color of their skin. And I see a few heads nodding up and down such that you have experienced that or have seen that as well. But let me just put it out there that at the very outset of our study, there is no place for racism in Christianity. And I think that may make us uncomfortable because we're like, well, why would we ever be racist? Why would we ever treat someone differently because they're they're not white or they're they're they've got a different color of skin or they have a a different ethnicity. But I've seen it happen in churches and I've seen people be, be, be treated poorly because of their race. And so discriminatory love is a hypocritical love. Secondly, dependent love, where we love those that love us. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43, seems to talk about this dependent love or this reciprocal love, where he says and teaches that true love is the opposite of this dependent Uh, reciprocal love in Matthew chapter five, verse 43, a text that may be familiar to you, but it may be new to some of you. So let me read just a couple of verses here where he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what the world would suggest. You love those that love you, but if they don't love you, you have no responsibility to them to treat them well. Jesus says, but I'm telling you right now, love your enemies, Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you so that you may be the sons of your father in heaven. If you want to be a son of the father, if you want to be a child of our God, you have to and I have to make the difficult, sometimes difficult choice to say, I'm going to love you even though you don't love me. And that is a very difficult thing for us to do. Let me suggest to you, thirdly, that hypocritical love shows up in the idea of fair weather love. That we love when things are going well. When I was thinking about this and thinking about this kind of part two of the courtesy lesson and the idea of things we talked about last month, I was thinking about our wedding vows. There are a number of us that are married here and we said for better or for worse. And that is also, in many ways, a vow that we took when we became Christians in terms of the treatment that we would have or that we would treat others regardless of how they treat us. So it's one thing for me to love you and to be kind to you and to to do all the things that the Lord wants me to do when things are going well. But when things are worse or not better, I have that responsibility as well. It reminds me of Hebrews chapter 13 in verse 5, where there the writer says the following in chapter 13 in verse 5. He says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as ye have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what can man do to me? That's the love that God has for us. We have to return that to others. Now, someone might stop me now and say, well, wait a minute, that sounds very challenging to do in a world where we are surrounded by media and by our coworkers and maybe even some of our family members who would tell us something differently. And I would submit to you that it is difficult in a world surrounded by our media and your coworkers and even some of your family members who feel differently. It's not easy sometimes to treat others the way that we need to treat, but we've got to be fair in our love, which brings us to the fourth and the final aspect of what hypocritical love looks like, and that is spoken love that is absent of action. There is nothing wrong with saying, I love you. There's something very right. And I think that uh, we can maybe do just a little bit of a better job of vocalizing that. Uh, We do a good job with our spouses or maybe with our children or maybe with our parents. But the fact is, is we are not so masculine or so cold hearted as 21st century Western civilization people that we can't look at each other and say, by the way, I want you to know I love you. And so maybe if we can include that in our vocabulary, but that has to be matched with action in first John chapter three in verse 18, John, the great apostle of love talks on this subject and he says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. The fact of the matter is, is if we never heard it said, and I think we should say it a little more often, if we never heard it said, would we know if we were loved by our brethren? And again, let's work to treat each other with that kind of love that is non-hypocritical. But the second component is different in how we treat each other. Now, the fact is, is the world urges us to treat our fellow human beings, our fellow uh, men and women, with the idea that it's all about me. And many of you who are in the corporate world are in a uh, dog-eat-dog world, wherein everybody's trying to get ahead, and it's all about you, and it's all about me. But my needs do not surpass those of everyone else— they would suggest that my needs do surpass those of everyone else. Some would suggest, and I remember uh, my, my parents sometimes reminding me that indeed the world doesn't revolve around me. Sometimes I think it's very Leland-centric, that the world is all about me and everybody should be doing what I need. And you should be uh, meeting my every need, but I'm not the center of the world and neither are you. And we've got to understand that we are different in how we treat each other. And then here's the other thing that I thought of. If I have a bad day, I want you to help me. But if you have a bad day, big deal. And I put an exclamation mark. The whole idea being, you know, if, 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 it's, it's interesting. Whenever someone has a surgery, it's, it's generally major when it's yours and it's minor when it's someone else's. Seems to be. But when I have a an ordeal, well, that's a big deal to me. I need to get to a place as a child of God that when you have a, an area of weakness, physically, medically, financially, spiritually, that I am more concerned about you than I am about myself. And that's not something that I came up with. That's something that the Holy Spirit came up with when the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And Paul said, esteem others better than even yourselves. Let me suggest to you three or four things that we need to practice as outlined by Romans chapter 12. And the first of those is the idea of selflessness. Selflessness is having little or no concern for oneself. It's the idea of being unselfish. And we learned that from a very young age. I've seen you as parents of two and three and four year olds saying you need to share. And you need to make sure that you're not selfish with your toys, that we are not selfish with our time as well. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 uses the phrase in the New King James Version... In honor, giving preference to one another. And David talked about honor just a week or two ago and gave us a really good working definition of, of what it means to honor God and also what it then means to honor one another. And as I referenced there in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, one of my favorite passages in one of my favorite books, nothing is to be done with selfish ambition. And when you think about that, I underline the word nothing because... It's possible for me to do things maybe 10% out of selfish ambition and think that I'm doing well because I am much better than the world. But Paul, the Holy Spirit, God himself says, don't let anything be done with selfish ambition. And that is really challenging in a world that is very selfish at its very core. Our understanding of this should be that Christianity is service Oriented, And we've got to be fervent in that effort. Go back to Romans chapter 12. Now notice verse 11, a verse that we read a few moments ago. He says, not lagging in diligence, but being fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. What does the Lord need from us? When you think about that in a very elementary way, he doesn't need, uh, he doesn't need us to feed him. Uh, he doesn't need us to water him like a plant. He doesn't need us to do all the things that we would do for those that we care about, the things that show our love. But yet we are service oriented in that we are fervent in the effort in that by treating others well, we treat our Lord well. In fact, you remember that occasion where the disciples said, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty and not see to your needs? And he went on to say, when you did it to the least of these, to the average person down the street, to your brother in Christ, you were doing so for me and doing so to me. And let me also suggest to you that there in Romans chapter 12, you drop down to verse 8. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men's. With all men, because our goal is peace, and that often means others have to come first. And there are a host of people, in fact, virtually everybody that I can think of in this building that I know have put their needs behind someone else's needs in order to achieve peace. It may not have been fair, it may not have been right, but you said, you know what? If, if she needs it more than what I do or he needs it more than I do, that's okay. Whether it be financially, whether it be with your time, whether it be with your abilities to help others in various ways. We must practice selflessness if we are going to be drastically different from the world. Secondly, we must practice generosity. We've had a number of good lessons on the subject of generosity in the last year to year and a half. And generosity literally means to be liberal in giving. We look at liberal as being a very uh, kind of tainted word. Uh, you know, we don't want to be liberal in our beliefs. We don't want to be liberal in our practices. But we need to be liberal in our giving. And I go back to the sermon That Brother Bill did probably six to eight months ago on this subject where he highlighted that particular fact. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 13, where I'm getting this from, he says we are to distribute to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Now, let me ask you a question that may be a little uncomfortable, and I'm asking that of you and I'm asking that of me. But when is the last time you have distributed to the need of one of your saints? Just think about that for a second. And some of you say, well, I did it last week, did it last night, did it last month. The whole point that I'm making is not that we don't do a good job of that, because I think by and large, we meet needs one to uh, the, the needs that each of us have. But if you can't think in the last two to three weeks, and I'm not talking about necessarily writing a check or digging a couple of dollars out of your wallet, when's the last time that you've made that difficult call to a brother Uh, to say, I'm concerned about you. Or you've made a more pleasant call to someone to say, is there something that I can do to help you or to assist you? And the fact is, is we are to distribute to the needs of the saints. We've got to be generous with our time. That certainly is the case in assembling together like we are today. And we've got to be uh, generous in talking to each other. And sometimes... Uh, we've got to be individuals who understand that part of talking to each other is being there for one another and confessing your trespasses to one another and praying for one another. There's no way that I can pray about your particular needs unless I know of your particular needs. And that sounds very elementary, and I understand that. But we've got to communicate with each other. And I've said this now for the last 15 years. We are now in a, in a day and age where it's easier to communicate those things than ever before. So there really is very little in terms of excuse for not being um, apparent with what our needs are with one another. Let me also suggest to you, and this goes to the heart of Brother Bill's lesson uh, six or eight months ago, that we've got to be generous with our money. That's true in our individual lives and our examples. In James chapter 2, in verse 16, it says, With one of you says, depart and be warmed and be filled, but you don't give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? And so the whole point there is there are times where what people do need is your time. Sometimes they need your treasure, and sometimes they need your talent. And certainly that is true in our collective contribution. We had a sermon on that just a few months ago uh, on the subject of when we come together and we give of our means, that we need to be liberal in that, in that knowing that some of that may very well go to a member who is struggling financially and otherwise having difficulties. Number three, we've got to practice Hospitality. Hospitality is, by definition, having a cordial reception. In fact, Romans 12, verse 13, in the New King James Version, says that we are to be given to hospitality. It's one of the things that elders are told to be aware of as well, and that makes perfect sense as well. Let me me stop there for just a second and just simply say this, that it's easy for me to be hospitable. Whether that be opening my time, or opening my home, or opening my car, or maybe even opening a checkbook. It's easier for me to do that with someone that I have a lot of commonality with. But what do the scriptures say? To whom are we responsible for being hospitable? And it's to all. And all is a very inclusive word. And so you may say, well, being hospitable is not difficult. It's being hospitable to all. That's difficult. And that can be a challenge for each of us. With strangers, remember Hebrews chapter 13, we referenced that particular uh, passage in our subject of angels just a few weeks ago as we wrapped up that study, that we are to be uh, hospitable to all, never knowing who it is that we are going to be cordial to and have an impact on. And let me suggest to you as members of this church, and and we've talked about this before, but I do want to just kind of gently remind us again that we need to have a special relationship with our visitors here at the assembly in that we get very caught up In seeing someone that we haven't seen in three or four days, we haven't talked to him in in a week or perhaps, uh, and in a larger congregation, you may go two weeks without talking to someone and having a nice conversation with Sister Smith or Brother Jones. But to those that are from out of town or to those that are new to town or new to our community, we've got to be hospitable to them as well. And it is also true that we are to be hospitable with our brethren there in first Peter, chapter four and verse nine, be hospitable to one another. And to do so, he says, without grumbling, because the nature of hospitality is that it will likely inconvenience you in some way. Anytime you show hospitality. It will inconvenience you in some way. I I can guarantee that that's going to be the case. And those of you that show hospitality, which is all of us, whether it be with our brethren, whether it be with your coworkers, whether it be with those that visit with us, where you open your homes or you open your vehicles, it is going to make life a little more difficult for you. But you gladly accept that challenge because you want to be more like Christ because we are to behave differently and practice hospitality. And fourthly, and I saved this to the end in part because of verse 15 of Romans chapter 12, but because this is one of the most important points that I wanted to make today, and that is the, the practice of empathy. Empathy is similar to sympathy, though they are slightly different. Empathy is the idea of being aware and sensitive to the feelings of others. I can be empathetic with anybody. Even someone who's had a broken bone, even though I've never had one. And I'm very, I'm very glad uh, someone said, how'd you, how'd you make that happen? 44 years and never broken a bone. I've just been very cautious everywhere I go. But the fact of the matter is, is I can still be empathetic with Bruce because I can have an awareness and a sensitivity to the fact that, that probably did not feel very good. And that if Jonathan could change his, his, his ways, he'd probably say, well, I'd rather not have that happen to me. But we are individuals who, when we have broken bones or broken skin or broken families or broken jobs or broken finances, we've got to be there to say, you know what, that's their problem. No, it's my problem as well because I'm going to empathize with you. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep is what Romans chapter 12 verse 15 tells us. But let me suggest to you the big but here. The caveat is that rejoicing with others is a problem sometimes for us because it might cause me to realize how little I have. Let's pretend that someone who has uh, four times the income as you have gets a promotion. So now they are, have five times the income that you have. You may be a little reluctant to say, I'm going I'm to rejoice with you. I'm so glad you got that job promotion. But we have the responsibility of rejoicing with them. And that's difficult sometimes when people are doing much better financially than even we are doing. Similarly, on the flip side, weeping with others might cause me to get depressed. You know, my life is going pretty well, you might say. I mean, I I pay my bills on time. My family's doing well. I've got 2.5 kids. Everything is going well in my life. And then you come along and you are raining on my parade. Well... We are to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And we must remember that as outlined in First Corinthians chapter 12, that we are in this thing together. It reminds me of an old custom that is still the case in some uh, non-Western countries. But I've made reference before to sitting in the mud. But in ancient cultures and in some more modern cultures... Whenever someone was sad, they lost a loved one, or maybe they had been diagnosed with some sort of an illness that was non-curable, they'd go sit in the mud. And they would sit there so that they could, kind of like in Old Testament times, you would sit in sackcloth, or put your sackcloth and, and sit in ashes and those kind of things, as an outward symbol of your despair You may walk by that person in the mud and say, there's nothing I can do for them. I I can't heal them. I can't make their finances better. I can't fix their ailment, whatever it may be. But one thing you can do is what? Sit in the mud with them and join them. And there are brothers and sisters who I know, without a doubt, are doing that on a routine basis and have done so just in the last 24 hours with brethren who are sitting in the mud. And you may be here this morning and sitting in the mud saying, well, I I want someone to sit with me. Let us know why you're there. And so that we can be prayerful with you and weep with you so that we might then rejoice with you. We are individuals who are supposed to be positively different. We as Christians, after all, are different. That's the whole point of everything we've said today. But we are to be positively different. Simply put, another way, we are distinctive and we are positive. It doesn't mean that we don't have bad days. It just means that we have a perspective on life that is different and that it helps us to see things the way God wants us to see and to do things the way God wants us to do things. We are different because the God that we serve is very different, and He can help us to learn what it's more like or what it's like to be more like Him. Let's work on putting these things into practice today, tomorrow, the rest of this week, and the rest of our life that God provides for us. I hope these things have been helpful to you. Uh, It certainly fits well with the idea that we are one, that we want to help each other, and that we want to be loving, we want to be kind, we want to be courteous, we want to be hospitable. We want to do all the things that Paul, by way of the Holy Spirit, told Christians. Let me remind you that these words in Romans chapter 12 are to Christians, not to strangers of the world, but rather to people like you and to me. And if you want to be a part of a church that cares about you spiritually, while also caring about you physically, we would welcome that opportunity to help you. Maybe you want to study further some of the things we've talked about today, or maybe you want to learn more about what it means to be a Christian in the truest biblical sense we'd be glad to study with you if you're not a child of god be baptized to have your sins washed away as is taught in mark 16:16 16, 16 or acts 2:38 and if you are a child of god and you need to make some sort of correction of a public nature we are here to support you and we'll sit in the mud with you to help you in your difficult time if we can help in any way let us know while together we stand while we sing